What's up, guys? Just a little forward on this episode. Um, right in the middle of doing uh, this episode, recording it, um, I found out that Neil Peart, the drummer for uh, one of my favorite bands of all time, Rush, uh, passed away Tuesday. And uh, literally that news just hit me like a fucking punch in the gut. And uh, I just kind of crapped out mentally <laughs> and it's definitely obvious that that was the case so I apologize in advance for that and next week I will be back to 100% but Mike definitely carried the uh, the ball on this one so I hope you enjoy it. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 173 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Friday, January 10th, 2020, 2020. Uh, For somebody with OCD, this is such a clean year for me. It's like a nice 2020. It's like it almost feels like binary code, even though I know twos are not in binary, but it's just especially looking at the date one ten two zero two zero it's just it uh-huh. as someone with ocd it just makes me feel good uh yeah. so i i feel good about this year and i hope you know i hope good things happen how you doing mike how's your friday i'm doing, I'm doing pretty good uh my friday's fine i'm gonna work tonight but it's a pretty quick uh shift it's a, just a closing shift i actually like closing shifts i prefer them uh over you know morning shifts um, and I w- went to the chiropractor, uh, had to reschedule my appointment cause I got called into work yesterday. Originally we were going to record the podcast yesterday, but I got called into work. So we rescheduled it for today. And, um, apparently, uh, my ribs have been out. What do you mean? Like in terms of like uh, the bo- the rib bone or the or the connection between my shoulder and my ribs, like in that area, yeah, uh, they've been out of place. So that's why I've been having a lot of discomfort lately, and I've been you know moving my shoulder in a certain way, and I just hear a, a pop. Is because that particular part has been out for I, I don't know how long. This and, is the first. Uh, this was the first time you had been to a chiropractor, right? No, it's not the first time. Uh, after I got hit by the car, I uh, went to a chiropractor for a good amount of time until the insurance, you know, until that ran out. And I also got massages. I got massages and uh, you know adjustments, and it helped a lot. And my mom said she came up with a theory that possibly this might be potentially related to the accident like it's just one of those things that like i didn't really think about it but like as the years go by you know like you're, it just gets you know worse oh yeah and then it's not it's not 100 percent. and uh but it was getting pretty bad like it, I, I thought it was my shoulder because it was just it was just this really bad pain that i'd feel around you know my shoulder area but really what it was it was the connecting you know the the part that connects my shoulder to my ribs so it was like it was a combo thing so that's makes sense like whenever i move my arm a certain way i feel this you know this this uh this pain um the adjustments you know they're not cheap but uh it makes me feel a heck of a lot better so um it's definitely worth it 
because uh, it was it, it, this this recent thing with my shoulder was and the and the and the rib thing like that that was really bad like that was really painful. Anytime and... you get into anything involving a car, whether it's a car accident, getting hit by a car, because I was in my car accident, yeah, you know, I don't know, five years ago or something like that. Anytime that happens, your body gets uh, because of the impact and all that. Your body can get changed and manipulated in such ways that it will permanently affect you, and you may not even feel like I, I know I'm going to have arthritis in the middle of my spine because of the car wreck yeah. I was in. And it's, and there's a certain disc that's always tender. It, it's sometimes uh-huh. it, it used to be a lot worse. And now it's like, it's kind of calmed down, but it's yeah. still definitely tender. And, and, you know, I'm going to probably have problems with it down the road. I, I think my biggest thing about going to a chiropractor is like, you hear these fucking horror stories of people getting what's known as locked in where yeah. they 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 turn your neck or they turn something in a certain way and it and it severs some nerve or something and you literally like become a quadriplegic like uh the, have you ever heard of it I would look I I would look into the percentage of those cases um and also the history of, of uh medical problems with those individuals that ended up with that cuz there probably are some that were you know, healthy or whatever, we're fine. But there's others that probably should not have even gone to get chiropractic help. And the chiropractor should have never even uh, tried to adjust them if their neck was in that such bad shape to begin with. Mm. Because all it would take was just, you know, one wrong move and there you go. Did you hear about Um, any of that stuff, though, like before you went in? It's just one of those things where uh, my mom has been getting adjustments for years uh, and, uh, I'd been, I'd gotten a couple adjustments before and nothing had really happened. Uh, my neck just locks up anyway, like in terms of like my muscles, just, he was, he was trying to adjust me and he was like, you don't want to do that. I'm like, no, my body does not want you to mess with my, like, I just, my neck, it's just a reflex. I just get really tense. So what he does is he has this machine. It's like a hammer. It's kind of, it's, it's not like a hammer, like with hammer and nails, but it's like a gun. It's like a hammer gun, really. <laughs> and it goes, you know, it pops some stuff back into place on your neck. It sounds fucking terrifying, um, Mike. You're not helping me <laughs> to want to get this. Well, you don't necessarily need the hammer, because uh, mainly it's sort of it's sort of the thing, you know, for the kind of stuff that uh, is not being uh, easily adjusted. So, like, for example, like, the rib thing that I have, it's, like, it's very difficult to try to, you know, adjust that any other way. Um, it, it's it's up to you. I will say this. There are benefits to it, for sure, if you find the right chiropractor. Um, I, I When I get adjusted and things are put back into place, like, I, I usually do tend to have more energy. My my uh, sinus problems are are not as uh, bad. Like uh, I have been dealing with like pressure off and on, you know, in, with my sinuses. And when I get adjusted properly, like th- that's just gone. And that's been a repeated sort of thing. Like I've even like before I even went back, uh, the the previous chiropractor I'd had, he he would he. You know, he would. That's what he was saying: is that my neck gets out in a certain way 
where then it affects my sinuses. Uh, so that's why I've been dealing with all this, uh, you know, pressure and all of that. And it, so it, it definitely, there definitely are benefits, but it's up to you. I can understand why people are freaked out about it. Cause you know, backs and necks and you know, uh, you know, but I, I would, I would suggest definitely looking at, at reviews, you know, check it out. You know, the, the, the credibility of the chiropractor, you know, all this kind of stuff. Uh, I would recommend trying it sometime, but that's only if you're willing to to uh, go th- forward with it. If you're not, and I totally understand, I totally understand your 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 uh, your fears, so to speak. But yeah, um, yeah, I I know that my I know that my shoulders are where I have a lot of my bullshit at. Um, I don't know if it's a muscular thing or a skeletal thing. Dude, you know what's crazy is what I think about a lot of times is like. The the older I get, the more research I do into things, the more I, you know, uh, as well as the older you get, the more you start seeing people die, you, yeah. you know, your family starts getting cancer or, or whatever, and then you start uh-huh. learning about, like, air pollution, and you start learning about how even burning a candle can put parabens into the air that are yeah. cancer-causing things, and milk is, uh, you know, got antibiotics in it, and meat has antibiotics in it, and there's all this, uh-huh. you know, DDT and uh, pesticides and everything, and then all the things that can just go wrong in the human body without all that shit, all the birth defects that can happen. How, uh-huh. the, how the fuck are there so many adults that made it to, like, adult age is what I think about. Like, how how are there so many, like, 50-year-olds walking around who haven't died yet <laughs> with all the, like, just all the things that can go wrong with the human body and uh-huh. all the things that you can put in yourself to, like, you know, kill you. I'm just, I don't know. It's just like, man, it, there must be a divine creator, Mike. I think that's what I'm coming to from, like, questioning all this, that that there must be a divine creator where all of this is part of his plan. But I don't know. It is weird, though. It's, it's, it's It almost seems improbable that with all the horrible things that could just go wrong with the human body yeah. that, that we live as long as we do, I guess, you know, especially compared to the animal kingdom where like most animals have like an average of like a couple years lifespan. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's just, uh, I, this is super off topic, but it's just something that I <laughs> think about sometimes. Anyway, ponder that philosophically while we go into uh, this week's episode. This is Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries, a podcast about uncovering mysteries that are Unexplained. And we definitely have a mystery for you. Uh, oh. This is a Patreon request. It is. This this honestly felt like a naughty case, didn't it? Naughty as in... You know, like, uh, forbidden. Oh, like... It felt like it, was, it felt like it was a similar, you know, case to the forbidden cases, you know, legal reasons or controversial. Oh, you're talking about whatever. the naughty, naughty cases. Yes. Let's yes. get naughty, naughty! <laughs> yeah, those cases, yeah. No, this definitely could have been a case on Unsolved Mysteries. And to be quite honest with you, it would have been hella more effective had they condensed yes. this one hour, 15 minute documentary into a 15 minute segment, quite honestly. I don't know about... Fi- I, I, there are some things that I don't think... I I would say probably an hour, like 45 minutes to an hour, like, you know, special or something. Mm, uh, I, I'll i meet you in the middle with 30 minutes. I don't, I don't know. Like, I feel like, 
Well, I'm just saying because the whole stuff with Benassi is at least 30 minutes. I, I could have cut. If, so, I, if I was the editor, I could have cut it down. Unsolved Mysteries does that a lot with their segments, though. They cut well, out, yeah, they cut mean, out information talking, that, yeah. are, that, it, that could almost arguably be pertinent that should have been. Well, I know. Yeah. Especially in, in terms of a documentary type of thing, not a segment. If you're talking about a segment, sure, 15 minutes is like you know the is a, is a good time. I yeah, I don't know if you haven't been able to read between the lines at this point, folks. Uh, I, I wasn't a huge fan of this documentary. It was <laughs> it was okay. Are you, are you going to uh, name drop the the Patreon? I mean, you know, I. I just be, person? Just, just because <laughs> just because somebody requests something, I mean, we're covering it. I'm for I'm fulfilling my uh, obligation on my end. It doesn't mean I have to like it. I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not saying you have to like it. I'm just saying, are you gonna like acknowledge who you know requested it? That that's. Oh that's yeah, all. yeah. Um, it was. <laughs> let's see here. It was. <laughs> there's two Joels in our Patreon. And it, okay. it was it was Joel, not. Let me make sure. Let me double check. It was actually Joel. Yes. Okay. Uh, Joel Sane, and the okay. other guy was Joel Winter. Because last uh, the um, the imposter documentary was Joel Winter, and then Joel Sane okay. is one. Yeah. So there's a lot of Joels. Well, thanks, Joel, for uh, requesting this documentary. Um, I'm glad I watched it at least once. There is some information in this documentary that it is genuinely compelling, and I can understand why people do consider it to be a uh, noteworthy documentary. But I am also kind of in the same boat that Josh is. Ultimately, I just thought it was okay. Uh, I didn't really have a whole lot of expectations for it. I went into it with pretty low expectations. I wasn't, like, highly anticipating it or anything. Um... This is actually the first time I heard about the documentary called Who Took Johnny from 2014, uh, which is uh, directed by uh, David Bellinson, Michael Galinsky, and Suki Hawley. So I guess three people directed this. They also helped write it. And you can tell this is a lower-budgeted production, Compared to some of the other documentaries we've seen, like uh, The Imposter, or Go, uh, Going Clear, or, you know, Going Clear, or even uh, Paradise Lost. Well, that was like a huge production. I feel. Yeah, but it was also an it also was an HBO kind of, but it was it wasn't necessarily produced. The first one wasn't produced by HBO. It was uh, aired on HBO. That one looked a little bit like it was a little bit um, cheaper of a production than the than the sequels uh, in in that series or West of Memphis, uh, but yeah, um, there are some moments where you can really tell the the cheap cheaper production, uh, specifically with some of the sound editing or, or the sound in this documentary like you hear some pops at some uh places uh and uh that that's that's a little annoying when you're watching a documentary and you're trying to i didn't notice that i noticed it on my end uh but it's not as noticeable as some other things because it's only there uh a few times 
it doesn't really have a whole lot of flashy editing. It, it's it's very uh, kind of stock in that regard because you know it was also edited by Suki Holly. So it seems like this is one of those films where just a lot of people uh, just did this on their own with whatever little money they had, and for what what it is, it's not terrible or anything. I don't think it's an awful documentary or the worst documentary I've seen. But it does suffer from some moments where it just doesn't grab you consistently enough. So it it just kind of drags a bit and you're just you're just you're watching it go through the motions. And you're waiting for something to happen that grabs your attention again or some bit of information that you can you know, go, whoa, okay, all right, that's interesting. Because there are other stuff that's like, I get why they have that focus, but... I feel like I, I could know. have made an outline of this documentary. I could have made, like, a three-point outline and pointed out, like, the three main things. You have uh, point number one is the disappearance of Johnny. Point number yes. two is that Banasi guy who comes into play and has a bunch uh-huh. of information about Johnny, you know, this this inmate. And then point number three is the establishment of the uh, Center for Missing, Ex- Missing and Exploited Children that was created um, in concert with uh, this case and with John yeah. Walsh from America's Most Wanted. Well that, well, that also ties into, well, there's also another thing that kind of, there's also some sort of uh, sub points. Like in the beginning, first 30 minutes or so, they're talking about the case and whatever, but they're also trying to establish uh, how the rules were back then with the police. Yeah. And how you had to wait 72 hours. Yeah, if a kid went missing back in the day, you had to wait 72 hours before the kid, you could report the kid missing, which it sounds fucking ridiculous nowadays. Yeah, it's, it's it, they they literally had like the same exact time frame that that an adult had, you know, that you could report them missing. Although I feel like yeah. an adult was forty eight hours. Maybe maybe now it's forty eight hours, but back in the you know uh-huh. what eighty. And then or- they also tried to do. Uh, they also tried to essentially uh, point to the police department as being corrupt, and there are some instances that the police department <clears throat> might have been because one of the. The heads of the, of the department was uh, involved in some uh, scandals of his own, but I don't really blame the police officers for assuming that the kid was a runaway, because that is something that is probably the most likely scenario with these cases at this particular time. You think so? And I mean, at, at this in this particular uh, area, maybe like in, in uh, you know small town, whatever you know, West Des Moines, Iowa. You know, I don't know. I, I'd have to see some kind of data on. Uh... Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I, I would like to like to also see some data too. But I, I don't buy the theory that the police are just like they don't give a shit and they just automatically. It's one of those things. It's like. They probably go with the, what they know, and if what they know, and with what most of their cases with missing kids like this in this area are them being runaways, that's kind of what they assume. Is that right? Kind of, uh, not. It kind of isn't. I don't know. I personally, but... I feel like this was a time 
this was kind of a bygone era, and they were even saying, like, in the documentary that, oh well, yeah, you know, they didn't well, even. Well, that goes into it too. Well, let me let well. me finish what I'm saying, because um, I'm I'm on a train here, and, and don't derail my train, Mike. Um, it it's the documentary was even saying at that time uh, they had this like expert in the field of whatever the fuck and this guy (laughs) this guy didn't even know what pedophile meant he's like you keep saying this pedophile word what does that even mean and so people didn't want to think about pedophilia in that town at that time they didn't even want to like acknowledge it so it's like the police were attacking this case if as if it were a missing or a runaway because that's the only uh thing that could exist in their small little world was well yeah. it must be a runaway because we don't want to accept the fact that there are are wealthy or not even maybe not wealthy there these, yeah. these these men you know who are are subscribing uh-huh. to this pedo you know catalog basically yeah. that's got these kids in there and these pedos prefer unfucked kids over yeah. you know street urchin kids who have already sold their body for drugs or whatever mm-hmm. and you know johnny was just a part of this pedo ring and um so i feel like that's it was it was an ignorance and a closed-mindedness on the police's part and also i want I think i think that happened afterwards because uh the initial investigation they were just looking at a missing boy <clears throat> The, the whole pedophilia thing wasn't really kind of established until a little bit later. So I think when the police were initially investigating this case, they were going off what they knew and what they were used to. Uh, and that's, you know, with runaway kids. Um, and, and and none of the reason why they thought it you know, was more probably a runaway is because they weren't able to find the body. So... So let's uh, let's but, get into the, the actual time, like nuts and bolts of this. They case. could have also been uh, paid off, so or blackmailed in 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 some way or another. Yeah, I don't know. Let's get into like the actual nuts and bolts of this case, and then we because people don't know what the fuck we're talking about right now. <laughs> we're sitting here commenting on something that they have no context about. So um, we're just gonna take. I turns. think we gave a little bit of context. We did, we gave you a little bit we of a te- teaser. Yeah, it was a teaser. That's what we did. So on Sunday, September 5th, 1982, in the suburb of West Des Moines, Johnny Gosh left home before dawn to begin his paper route. Although it was customary for Johnny to awaken his father to help with the route, the boy took uh, only the family's miniature dachshund, Gretchen, with him that morning, which I think that is the most adorable name for a, a dog. Yeah. And I, got, I, I was even more sad that something bad could have happened to Gretchen. I don't know why I... I eat animals, yet I feel bad for them at the same time. Go figure. Other paper carriers for the Des Moines Register would later report having seen Gosh at the paper drop picking up his newspapers. It was the last sighting of Gosh that can be corroborated by multiple witnesses. A neighbor named Mike reported that he observed Gosh talking to a stocky man in a blue-toned Ford Fairmont with Nebraska plates. Mike did not know what was discussed because he was observing from his bedroom window. As Gosh headed home, Mike noticed another man following Gosh. Another witness, John Rossi, saw a man in a blue car talking to Gosh and, quote, thought something was strange. He looked at the license plate but could not recall the plate number. He said, quote, I keep hoping I'll wake up in the middle of the night and see that number on the license plate as distinctly as night and day, but that hasn't happened. Rossi underwent hypnosis and told police some of the numbers that the plate that 
the plate was from Warren County, Iowa. And that the plate was from Warren County, Iowa. John and Noreen Gosh, Johnny's parents, began receiving phone calls from customers along their son's route complaining of undelivered papers. John performed a cursory search of the neighborhood around 6 a.m. He immediately found Johnny's wagon full of newspapers two blocks from their home. The Goshes immediately contacted the West Des Moines Police Department and reported Johnny's disappearance. Noreen, in her public statements and her book, Why Johnny Can't Come Home, has been critical of what she perceives as a slow reaction time from authorities and of the policy at the time that Gosh could not be classified as a missing person until 70, 72 hours had passed. By her estimation, the police did not arrive to take her report for a full 45 minutes. Initially, the police came to believe that Gosh was a, was a runaway, but later they changed their statement and suggested that Gosh was kidnapped. But they were unable to establish a viable motive. I mean, do you really need a fucking motive for kidnapping? I mean... <laughs> A kidnap is a kidnap. Somebody is uh, deranged. Well, yeah, and they. See, I, I, I get. I mean, they see like someone that's younger and more vulnerable, and mm-hmm. you don't need a fucking motive for kidnapping, you dumbass cops. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I just, I, I don't know if I'd go that far with them just being ignorant dumbasses. It's I would, just, I, you know. I think police, you know, the, the the you know, there are some instances like that. I'm not saying all know, police. I'm saying police, the so. Oklahoma or the Des Moines police. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make an argument that all of them were were morons, and that's why you know this wasn't you know handled or or solved. Maybe not morons, but definitely stubborn. Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, the the head of of the police department. At the time, you know, saying things like, you know, Noreen is just, you know, being a loon. Yeah, you know, that's the word they kept using, a loon. So, uh, like fucking 1950s PG slang there. She's such a loon. Like, oh man, them's fighting words. That motherfucker just called me a loon. Hold my... You're garbage. Hold my earrings. Yeah, <laughs> I know, that's a perfect... I don't even think Unsolved Mysteries would stoop to the level of uh, writing loon in their dialogue. Hey, buddy, what are you, a loon? <laughs> anyway... Were you a dodo bird? Um, A few months after his September 1982 disappearance, Noreen Gosh has said her son was spotted in Oklahoma when a boy yelled to a woman for help before being dragged off by two men. That's creepy. Uh, We didn't hear that at all. That wasn't mentioned in the documentary. No, it was not. Over the years, several private investigators have assisted the Goshes with the search for their son. Among them are Jim Rothstein, a retired New York City police detective, and Ted Gunderson, a retired chief of the Los Angeles FBI branch. You know, Gunderson, that last name, I have this, like, alter ego in my mind that I haven't created yet. I want to be Tammy Gunderson. That's, like, my female alter ego name. (laughs) And I want to be be a middle-aged, overweight barfly with big tits and a southern accent and curly blonde hair who smokes cigarettes, and I just go into bars, and my name's Tammy Gunderson, and all the boys, all the men try to flirt with me, and, uh, you know, sometimes I go home and sleep with them, and sometimes I don't. <laughs> In my world, that is an alter ego. I, Tammy Gunderson, that's my name. Just huge hoo-hahs, and, and you know, <laughs> just going in like the bar skank that I am. And wow. I can shoot some pool and I can suck some dick. And those are the only, and I'm, <laughs> and I'm all out of shooting pool. 
Uh, so wow. Gunderson kind of triggered me when I read that last name. Wow. So yeah, yeah, guys. Tammy Gunderson is my. I mean, I haven't done this, and I don't have a. I don't have a desire to, but I just sometimes think about that name for some reason. It just came to my mind one day, Tammy Gunderson, and that would be maybe that's my pet. See, if I was doing Scientology auditing right now, that would be a past life. They would tell me that in your uh, one of your past lives, you were this barfly named Tammy Gunderson. Anyway, or or, or it's a uh, it's a multiple personality. <laughs> no, because she hasn't emerged yet. Or maybe when yeah. I'm, you know, being sexually promiscuous. Maybe that's Tammy. <laughs> so I'm a lesbian. So, so anyway, in 1984, <laughs> Gosh's photograph appeared alongside that of Juanita Rafael Estevez on milk cartons across America. Apparently, this was a new idea, that, you know, back then. Mm-hmm. They were the second and third abducted children to have their plights publicized in this way. This was there was also, of course, flyers um, because the police weren't really putting a lot of uh, money into the investigation or manpower. Uh, the uh, community had to uh, do it themselves. They had to search for uh, Johnny uh, on their own time. Which are- before the 72 hours. So, you know, it was one of those things where, like, the, the community was like, no, this is ridiculous. I'm not waiting 72 hours. We're going to go look for him. Which apparently to this day, when your child goes missing, you still have to shoulder a lot of the workload in trying yeah. to find them. It's The police can only do so much, and they only have so many resources. Yeah, I mean, that's understandable. Like, I, I there were some parts of this documentary that... It, come across as a little too accusatory at times where you're like, well, I don't know. I don't think you know all the, all the details exactly of what the, you know, the police were investigating or, or what they were doing. So it's, it's a little, the, that's one of the aspects of this documentary. I didn't care for it. Kind of felt like it was going off topic into some other thing like there, you know, and it was like, that's, that's the stick to the, you know, the case here. Um, well, I'm sure Noreen wanted to throw her, you know, her 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 editorial commentary yeah. in as far as, you know, the beef that she most clearly has with uh this police oh, department. Oh, absolutely. Uh so on- so there were other things that ha- that uh cuz this uh, Wikipedia doesn't mention some things like for instance, uh the dollar bill that Noreen w- was apparently sent, uh, what, like a couple years or a year? Yeah, it was a couple years after, after the fact. Um, <clears throat> the dollar bill said, I'm alive, Johnny Gosh. And some lady uh, found the bill while she was paying for her groceries in a grocery store. And the bill was sent to uh, the police or something. They made like a... No, it was sent to her. Oh. She said, I'll give you a dollar. You give me no, the no. It was bill. sent to the and, and people investigating it, and and they said to the lady, "We'll give you a dollar if you give us that dollar." I don't remember it being said that way. Well, whatever. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, on August twelfth, nineteen eighty four, Eugene Martin. But what do you think about that dollar bill? God damn that, it, Mike! That because we didn't really, we didn't really go. We just you just mentioned it, but we didn't really when, talk about it. When I'm it. starting to read another sentence, that is not the time for you to go. Hey, what do you think about the dollar bill? These are the interruptions that people talk about. 
But you're but you're starting up another thing without even like acknowledging like that's what I'm talking about. Like, how wh- were you just gonna bring that up randomly down down the down the line? No, I, I, I didn't think there was anything else to say about it. I mean, I, I I thought I thought it was actually you know kind of an interesting. I mean, thing. I don't know. Like the case was pretty public at that point. I mean, we're talking a few years down the road. You know, there's jackasses out there that like to troll yeah. and play pranks. I mean, you know how easy it is for me to find a missing person, write their name on a dollar. It just doesn't really do much for me as far as any kind of proof, you know? Well, I know. I'm not, I'm not talking about proof. I'm just talking about, like, you don't really necessarily hear that many instances of that kind of thing. No, uh, but I mean... That I've ta- that uh, that I've seen when we have uh, talked about these cases. So it could be a hoax. It could be a troll. But, you know, I just thought it was an interesting sort of thing because you don't really see that very often publicize that sort of thing where someone is, you know, saying I'm alive. Yeah. On a dollar bill. I I mean, it's, it's strange. We run into cases, uh, on unsolved mysteries or, you know, all the cases that we've talked about where, where someone goes missing and there are weird ways that they, they let their loved one know, uh, usually in the form. Usually it's a phone yeah, call. Yeah, usually it's a form of a quick phone call where it's like, I'm alive. I love you, mommy. And it's like, baby, <laughs> where are you at? I can't talk. I gotta go. I love you, mommy. And they hang okay, up. Okay, Cartman. <laughs> yeah. I'm still alive, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't you looking for me? Uh, yeah, it's my best Cartman. Uh, you know, they actually, uh, the creators of South Park, Matt Stone and Trey Parker, they actually do mm-hmm. the voices of all the boys on South Park, and then they put them yeah. in this, like, computer, and they pitch shift the voices up. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so... Interesting. That's, so they... So, like, I've seen a video of uh, them doing the actual voices in the studio, and it sounds like they're voices, but they're a little too low. And so, yeah, they literally put them in this computer program, and they, like, pitch shift them up, like, 20 or 30%. That's why they still sound like kids. But grown men are doing those voices. Yeah, it's kind of weird. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> are we done talking about the bill? Yes, we're done talking about the dollar bill. Okay. On August 12th, <laughs> 1984, Eugene Martin, another Des Moines area paperboy, disappeared under similar circumstances. He disappeared while delivering newspapers on the south side of Des Moines. Authorities were na- unable to prove a connection between the two cases, yet Noreen claims that she was personally informed of the abduction a few months in advance by a private investigator who was searching for her son. She was told the kidnapping, quote, would take place the second weekend in August 1984 and would be a paperboy from the south side of Des Moines. More information that we did not hear in this documentary. Um, Speaking of the documentary and missing kids, there's a part in this documentary where she's interviewing the family of of uh two girls that went missing yes and it seems like she's trying to say oh you know they they could be alive she's she's kind of assuming that they were kidnapped by some pedo ring or whatever and ultimately it's revealed that i mean thankfully in in some ways to the parents of those girls that you know they weren't kidnapped they they're they're dead but um, the reason why I say thankfully in some ways is because when you have these cases of missing kids and they're missing for years and there's no body, 
it's really hard to have closure. Right. And there was, I think there was even someone uh, who was involved with law enforcement or, or some other sort of thing uh, who said something like that. It's, it's, it's a, you know, it's one of those things. It's like you almost, you almost want to find the body because then you can truly move on. But if there's no body, then there's still this potential. There's this hope that they're alive or, or that they're alive and they're being tortured or they're alive and, and, and their life is, has been, um, wrecked and just horribly, uh, damaged beyond repair. And they can never really come back to, uh, come back home for whatever reason. Oh, dude. I fucking hate to interrupt. I just I just learned on Facebook that Neil Peart passed away from Rush. Oh, man. Fuck. Damn. Oh, my God, dude. That is really upsetting. Oh, my God. That was like my band. I fucking... I know, I know you're a huge fan of Rush. I love yeah. those guys. Fuck. Okay, that's really, really, really fucking depressing. I'm going to have to, like, soldier through this podcast now. Fuck. God. It's the depression uh, podcast, folks. (laughs) Jesus Christ, man. I should have at least waited to check Facebook till after this. Now I'm going to have to wear it. Ah, fuck. That sucks. Yeah, sorry guys. Rush Rush is and was like my favorite band, and they like got me through a lot of hard times. And mm-hmm. fucking love Neil Peart, and he dealt with so much tragedy in his life. He his daughter died when she was seventeen yeah. in a car wreck, and then his wife died a year later of cancer. And yeah. fuck. Speaking of you know tragedies, uh, Noreen Gosh went through a lot of tragedy in her own life. Yes, she did. Uh, Segue back so- into the case there, Mike. She survived a uh, tornado, remember correctly? Completely destroyed her home. Didn't it kill uh, her kids or something, too? Her yeah, first or kids? So, something like that. I'm trying to remember the whole, the full details of it, and it's kind of hazy. I know she said her father died of, was it cancer? Um, so, yeah, it was just a really messed up thing. Like She went through a lot even before her her son went missing. And another tragedy is, of course, of course uh, what happened to Eugene Martin. And uh, the documentary mentions another kid that also went missing, I think, a couple years after that. And the police department in Des Moines, uh, they, they were like, oh, it's, there's no, they're not connected. And I get, I get why they wouldn't assume that there's a connection. But... I don't understand why they would think that there there is no chance that there's a connection. They're all paper boys. They're all around the same age. It, 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 you know, it sounds a little. It, it, it sounds like it's a little bit too much of a coincidence. I'm just saying. Like, would they look at a a, a, a string of murders with the same mo? And and look at that as just a coincidence and be like, oh, they're not related. It looks like it's a serial killer. Well, it's you know, it doesn't really look you know the you know copycat. The FBI, I guess, was also somewhat involved in this case. Eventually, later, 
but they didn't really go that far with it. And uh, the FBI was actually, there was a guy who worked at the FBI that was set to be interviewed by the documentary filmmakers. And the documentary filmmakers try to mention Johnny Gosh. And you hear somebody, you know, I think it's probably an FBI aide or something, like their uh, lawyer or whatever, or someone like that involved with uh, the communications aspect of the FBI. is like, we said that we we are not going to discuss anything about the Johnny Gosh case, which sounds like really fucking shady to me that, you know, they're not even willing to even talk about any aspect of it, any aspect of their involvement whatsoever. Here we get to some of the claims by Noreen Gosh. According to Noreen Gosh's account, she was awakened at around 2.30 a.m. one morning in March 1997 by a knock at her apartment door. Uh, this is what happened. This is like the, th- this is what is revealed like near the end of the documentary, where you, because the first half of the documentary is introducing you to Noreen, you know, uh, her her uh, own personal tragedies early on in her life, how she met her uh, first husband, you know, her family life with Johnny and everything, and with her, with her new husband, and so on and so forth, and then. A discussion of the witnesses and people involved who saw what happened with the car and with Johnny. The uh, takedown of the police department, the local uh, police department, uh, by uh, Noreen and and others. And in some ways, it is justified because the the, uh, police, uh, I think it was police chief or the head of the police department, like he was uh, actually eventually, I don't think convicted is the right word, but he eventually was uh, proven to be involved with some shady things on the side and corruption. And I think he just uh, stepped down instead of uh, ultimately facing his uh, punishment. After that, it gets into this uh, thing. We're trying to talk about, you know, what happened years later, Noreen's quest for justice and, you know, the strain that had on her relationship with her first husband, they eventually divorced 10 years later because it was just too much of a strain for them to deal with. Her crusade was viewed as crazy by some people, but ultimately was worth it because it, it caused uh, changes to be made in uh, legislation because of, you know, the whole 72 hours thing, like eventually something was Things were changed for the better in terms of in terms of the uh, the laws at the time. Then you get to this uh, character named uh, Paul Bonassi, uh, Bonassi, and uh, I'll get to that last. But then after that, then you have the whole thing with uh, uh, Noreen, who is uh, brought to trial to uh, support Paul Bonassi's uh, case. And the uh, prosecutor, or I don't know if it's the prosecutor or the defense, but one of the lawyers asked her outright, you know, have you been in contact with Johnny since his disappearance? And then she drops a bombshell that she was. She did have a con- some contact with Johnny. And that's where you get to this uh, account where she was awakened around 2.30 a.m. one morning in March 1997 by a knock at her apartment door. Waiting outside was Johnny Gosh, now 27, accompanied by an unidentified man. 
Gosh said she immediately recognized her son. You know, she says the things like, oh, you know, it's in the eyes. You know, I knew it was him. Knocks on the door, says, you know, mom, it's me. That was fucking weird. That was the weirdest detail about the whole thing because she she didn't even mention it to anyone and it was almost like I know. it was almost like what yeah no what are you talking your son has been missing and you've been like your heart's been broken over this and at some point he he knocks on your fucking door and you like visit with him and you you're like and you know he's like don't tell anyone or they'll kill me and this that and the other and then he just like pieces out and you don't yeah it's like what like are you are you in fantasy land right now? Like what could be? It kind of ruins like a lot of her credibility. Like if we're if I, we're I supposed know. to believe that, I I I a part of me actually kind of can buy that. And the reason why is look at things like with the Epstein, you know, with Epstein. If this really was some sort of rich, powerful, pedophile ring, I could buy that that happened. Because it's one of those things where if he did reveal too much information, if he if, you know, he tried to go out to the police, if he tried to do anything, you know, if the connections are that deep and the people involved, their pockets are that deep. Or if this this theory that the pedophile ring has uh, information that, you know, can effectively destroy some of these higher uh powered and privileged individuals in our country then yeah that 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 could easily occur i understand why you know we would immediately we people would think it's a fantasy and i understand why you would think that or anyone else would uh that this makes you question our credibility but like i i can if if this is really this sort of pedophile ring and they really do have these connections and it's not something that is that far-fetched to me. Uh, he probably wanted to contact his mother at some point to let her know for sure that he's still alive. And, but because of everything that happened and, and what he was uh, a part of and all these people that were uh, essentially controlling him, like he he couldn't be too honest about things, so he's very vague and evasive. And if, you know, she truly did see him, I do buy that she would try to keep it a secret for, for as long as she could to keep him alive. Yeah, I mean, if, yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I, obviously she just cares about his well-being and that's it, you know? Yeah. So, I mean... It's, uh, I guess it's conceivable, but man, it's just bizarre. Cause it is, it's bizarre, and it's great. This whole thing is bizarre. When we get to Bonazzi, or Bonazzi, or whatever, however you say his name, it gets even more bizarre. She says she immediately recognized her son, who opened his shirt to reveal a birthmark on his chest. We talked about an hour, or an hour and a half. He was with another man. I have no idea who the person was. Johnny took uh, over to the other person he would look over to the other person to approve for approval to speak he didn't say where he was living or where he was going because you know that would incriminate him or it would cause you know some some uh potential uh trouble down the road in a 2005 interview gosh said the night that he came here he was wearing jeans and a shirt and he had a coat on because it was march it was cold and his hair was long it was shoulder length and it was straight and dyed black after the visit, uh, she had the FBI create a picture, she says, uh, looked like Johnny. 
Now, in the documentary, she mentions how he was talking about how this group forced him and other kids to do some really hard crimes. So, on top of the abuse that they endured, they were effectively blackmailed. And, you know, if they tried to go out in the public, like, they could serve jail time, uh, let alone... uh, wind up dead mm, yeah i don't buy that because but i that's the part that yeah that's the part that makes me go eh, about the jail time thing and i and i buy i i totally understand you know paul because he's interviewed and he's like well no no nobody would really convict no johnny no because it was he it was coerced into doing it yeah that i mean that people get off all the time because they were yeah. victims of you know coercion and uh huh. You know, I mean, that happens all the time. But that could be the brainwashing thing. Yeah, I mean, it could be. You know, that could be the brainwashing thing at, at at play here. You know, they could be hammering this thing into these kids' heads. Like, if you you try to tell anybody anything, you know, if you manage to get away from us and tell the truth, you know, and you s- still survive, you know, you'll just live the rest of your life in prison. Yeah. Yeah, the captors do that. I mean, that's like the the standard garden variety thing that you <laughs> that you pretty much say to somebody that you as that you have captured is that, you know, nobody cares about like I actually got done reading a book. Uh I'm always kind of uh conflicted whenever I say read a book cuz I listen to it on audiobook, but I just kind of uh-huh. say I've read it or whatever. Um it was and I want to do a podcast episode about this, but I feel like there's just so much to it that it would be like uh, just kind of overwhelming to me but remember those three uh women who got abducted in chicago who were held in this guy's basically like sex dungeon and oh uh, yeah didn't we do something on no I don't... no that that was a different sex dungeon yeah that was in europe the yeah. thing that we did but no no there was another thing too i think we talked about oh, well anyway these to these women were held uh captive for like 10 years uh-huh and they finally all got like rescued and it's it's an insane fucking story, man. Like it's really um I forget the name of the book. I'm surprised there isn't a documentary about this case. <laughs> I'm sure it's in the works, but each one of the uh two of the uh two of the women wrote wrote one book and then one of the women wrote her own book and uh it it is just insane. Um and So did you hear about these from somebody? I heard about this case on the news a long time ago because I remember uh one of the women you know, spoiler alert, one of, the, one of the women finally escapes because their captor uh, went to go see her mother or his mother. And uh, when he went to go see his mother, he, he you know, let it slide. Like one time he wasn't, you know, being um, vigilant about, you know, keeping everything locked and this, that and the other. And one of the women were able to get out and yell at, you know, to uh, the neighbor. And I think she was even able to escape. And the sound bite that they used in the news clip was uh, this black guy was like, I knew something was wrong when a pretty young white girl came running into a black man's arms. <laughs> because I guess when she escaped, she ran to the guy, the neighbor, and just like grabbed him and hugged him. And she's like, oh, my God, help me, help me, help me. And and that's what the neighbor had to say, which I thought was kind of funny because they like played that on the radio yeah. and everything. But um, yeah, they were talking about how, you know, 
none of them really got brainwashed in the sense that they you know got stockholm syndrome or anything like they all they always wanted to escape but it was more of a mental breaking down to where they just accepted the fact that i'm never gonna get out of here this is my life now you know and they just had to pretty much get used to a degraded level of living and i think maybe johnny it was the same thing Mm-hmm. Because they do all these psychological things, like uh, they're like, you know, if you escape, I'll kill these other girls who are here. Yeah, and so they put, you know, other people's lives on your, you know, on in your hands, and they do all kinds of stuff like that. So, yeah, I could totally buy that's the kind of thing that could have happened. Yeah, like hey, you know, with you, this pedophile, like ring. Johnny, if you escape, you know, I'll kill these other boys too, and it'll, you know, be. Yeah, and so now, like that's that's on on your head, you know. There or they're or you know, I'll, I'll abuse these other boys, you know, that kind of thing too. Yeah, to be dead, dude. It or, was you know, like it was fucking force brutal. Watch, oh yeah, you know, forcing like the case I was talking yeah. about previously. Like this guy would. um Obviously, he would rape these women. I mean, the amount of times he raped them uh-huh. was just countless. And, oh, dude, it's it's just brutal. Okay. Like, like so. Yeah, okay, sorry. <laughs> I won't keep going on about that. <laughs> I see what you mean. I understand why you can, you question her credibility. It, it also, you know, kind of makes you go a little bit, huh, you know, with some of the other stuff that, you know, she talks about, uh, because you're kind of like, okay, all these years later, like maybe it's one of those things where she just wants to find a way to validate herself and her crusade again. Um, but I don't know. It's one of those things where I, I, I can, I can see it being real, but I can also see people's theories that you know she might have kind of started to kind of lose it a little bit, it was just starting to kind of make some stuff up uh, as a way to cope. So, and also a way to make money. Look at that book. <laughs> I mean, she self-published a book in 2000 called Why Johnny Can't Come Home. The book presents her understanding of what her son went through based on original research of various private investigators and her son's visit. On September 1st, 2006, uh, Gosh reported that she found photographs left at her front door, some of which po- she posted on her website. One color photo shows three boys bound and gagged, which you ultimately, we ultimately found out that that was uh, from a case in Florida, in like the, the late seventies. Still though, that's that's it, sick. It is like who? Like it what is. the fuck? Apparently, the kids never came through. They never uh, admitted to the police about anything. Uh, they didn't come to the police because you know they're probably afraid of what might happen. Uh, but the case was, I, I, I think, nobody was charged, apparently, with that case. No one was charged with the, the case of the three the three kids. <laughs> Which is insane. It, <laughs> hey, here's three boys bound and gagged, like, you know, clearly a red flag of something, you know, nefarious going on. But it's like, eh, whatever. Yeah, I know. And then also the whole thing with, because uh, this case, cut the, the photo thing reminds me of Tara calico yes yeah you know, we talked about uh tara calico and the photo that was allegedly her you know or, or you know they ultimately found out wasn't now so she claims though that these other photos that she got is johnny and there's a 
semblance, no similarity. I could see what what she's looking at more so than the imposter guy that we talked about the other week. Well, exactly, uh, for sure, <laughs> way more than the imposter. Uh, and then you have like one of the medical experts. Uh, who works at the police department, he's talking about it, and he's talking about there's not a good enough photo to do that. And I'm like, why are we talking about the three f- people? Like, isn't that <laughs> something else? I, I know. Like, yeah, that's not a very good quality photo. It's not a good We're photo. About the other- it's not a good photo of Johnny, but what about the kids who are you know, yeah. tied up and in, in bound and gagged? I mean, like, let's like look into that a no. little bit. How about it? No, I'm not looking at that because that's the photo that he was looking at for the analysis, and I was like, "That's not the right photo. That those aren't the right photo. That's not the right photo to be looking at." There's multiple other photos to look at, and he's talking about how it's not good enough picture quality. And I'm like looking at the photos that of what's supposed to be Johnny, uh, with his mouth gagged, his hands and feet tied, and I'm like. That's a high quality photo. What? Why are you talking? What are you talking about? How you? There isn't enough for you to do. A, you know, a, a good enough analysis. It kind of sounds like bullshit to me. I don't know. I don't know. Did it look like Johnny to you? A little bit. I wasn't. I, I, I wasn't think fully it was. Convinced. It was difficult. It's hard to really say. He he talks about how the feet aren't really the right size. They looked the same size to me when I looked at it. Yeah, yeah, they did. So, I don't know. What it seemed like to me, too, it seemed like the father, Johnny's father, the original father, because she divorced and then got remarried. Uh Johnny's, like, you know, biological father in the documentary. He seems like he thinks that Johnny's just kind of gone and, and, you know, never going to be found again. And the mom, you know, to sum it up, I feel is just in a state of denial. Like, she is just... She, in her mind, knows that Johnny's still alive, and, you know, he's just well, got to do what yeah. he's got to do, you know? Like, okay. he can't he can't come and see me because, uh, you know, for whatever reason, and, and you know what? I could see that theory, but when you have the connections, you know, the stuff that uh, Bonazzi talks about... Yeah, that is... It kind of brings the, into, into question the... the the validity of the oh she's just in denial and she's a little bit crazy kind of thing to me personally because there are so many details that that Benazzi brings up that like makes you go whoa okay I don't know uh so she also talks about there's a black and white photo that was not shown in the documentary that has a 12 year old Johnny Gosh with his mouth gagged and his hands and feet tied and apparent human brand on his shoulder a third photo shows a man possibly dead who may have something tied around his neck. Uh, Gosh alleges that the man was one of the perpetrators who molested her son. Uh, Gosh later said that the first two photos originated on a website featuring child pornography, and they even mentioned that in the documentary. Uh, the website was taken down soon after that was uh, mentioned, but those photos are probably on the dark web somewhere or the deep web. So, on September 13th, an anonymous letter was mailed to the Des Moines police. Gentlemen, someone has played a reprehensible joke on a grieving mother. The photo in question is not one of her son, but three boys in Tampa, Florida. About 1979-80, challenging each other to an escape contest. There was an investigation concerning that picture made by the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office, 
No charges were filed and no wrongdoing was established. The lead detective was on the case. His name is Zalva. His allegations should be easy enough to check out. Nelson Zalva, who worked at the Hillsborough County, Florida Sheriff's Office in the 1970s, said the details of the letter were true and adds that he also investigated the black and white 78 or 79 before Gosh's disappearance. Interviewed the kids. They said there was no coercion or touching. I can never prove a crime. When asked for proof, this is indeed the same photo from the investigation three decades prior. Salvo cannot provide any. According to the documentary, only three boys in the pictures were identified with live law enforcement, but no one thought to be Johnny. And the other photos that she showed in the documentary of, of the what she thinks is her son have never been identified to this day. Nobody knows who that kid is. And if it was Johnny, that ties into the whole power, uh, money, that sort of thing. So the case, of course, uh, generated national interest uh, when Gosh became very vocal about the inadequacy of the law enforcement's investigation of missing children's cases. Uh, She established a foundation called the Johnny Gosh Foundation in 1982. She lobbied for the Johnny Gosh Bill, which was ultimately uh, put into law in Iowa in 1984. Identical laws were later passed in Missouri and seven other states, but apparently not in every state. The whole thing with immediate res- police response to reports of missing children. Those must be the pedo uh, sh- sanctuary states. I'm sure Florida is one of those. So in August of 1984, Noreen Gosh testified in Senate hearings on organized crime, speaking about organized pedophilia and its alleged role in her son's abduction. She began receiving death threats. Uh, Gosh also testified before the U.S. Department of Justice, which provided $10 million to establish the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Gosh was invited to the White House by President Ronald Reagan for the dedication ceremony. Now we get into the Benassi allegations. This ties into the Franklin child prostitution ring allegations. Uh, It's allegations that prominent citizens of Nebraska as well as high-level U.S. politicians were involved in a child prostitution ring that was uh, based and housed in Omaha, Nebraska. Alleged abusive victims were interviewed who claimed that children in foster care were flown to the East Coast of the United States to be sexually abused at bad parties. The claims primarily centered on Lawrence E. King Jr., who now who ran the now-defunct Franklin Community Federal Credit Union in Omaha, Nebraska, and alleged that the ring was a cult of devil worshippers involved in the mutilation, sacrifice, and cannibalism of numerous children. Well, that sounds familiar. Yes, it does. Satanic panic! The show remembers. Uh, numerous conspiracy theories evolved, claiming the alleged abuse is part of the widespread series of crimes, including devil worship, cannibalism, drug trafficking, and CIA arms dealing. I don't buy the devil worshipping or the mutilation or sacrifice cannibalism. I don't buy that. I can buy... You know, a pedo ring. Yeah, that's believable to me. But, you know, we're rich, uh, powerful individuals in, in, in America at the time. They wanted clean kids. Ugh. And God, that's creepy what, even saying that. I know. It is. It's horrible. It's disgusting. Why do so many of these, like, higher up people, why are they like, you know, the thing that would really get me off is um is is boy butthole like 
you know, I know I can get any well, I mean, like escort that I want. I, I'm rich. I can buy prostitutes, you know, or fancy mm-hmm. escorts. But little kids are really the thing. Why, why does that happen so much? In what? Because they're pedophiles. But why is it so and, and rampant? Like a, it, it like in like like anytime you're in a position of power, whether it's Hollywood or whether it's you know you're this prominent politician or whatever the case may be, like it seems so fucking prominent. Well, like are these people well, all Sparrow, like, sociopaths? Paul Sparrow of the America's Most Wanted producer, he mentions that there is a certain percentage of of the population that are pedophiles. Yeah, and he did, and he did actually make the point that you know it, it's it, it's uh, you know poor people and middle class people too. But I, I don't know, maybe maybe the uh, upper echelon people is uh, makes for a better news story, so that's why it's mentioned more or harped on more. But I don't know, it just but the upper echelon stuff rarely ever you never ever hear anything about. Yeah, it, except in documentaries like this or these conspiracy theories about these alleged prostitution, you know, child trafficking, pedophilia rings. So do you know what what all the hubbub is behind that fucking Epstein didn't kill himself meme that is just fucking, I'm so tired of seeing? I feel you with that. Uh, I even saw one of one of the, well, I didn't see that. I saw an OK Boomer thing. That's another thing. I saw somebody spelled out OK Boomer at work in like one of the like wooden uh, pieces of, you know, letters or whatever that we have that we sell uh but um it deals with the whole thing that epstein of course is heavily involved in the in in uh some very controversial stuff involving some allegations of uh sexual abuse and with pretty powerful people in hollywood and so the the uh, thing is that he didn't kill himself; that he was killed by you know the people who are trying to cover things up, and there's other people involved who have also died or killed themselves. Oh, okay, yeah, that's what so I, that's I what that's... I figured it was about. They were trying to shut him up or something. But at the same time, he could have killed himself too. Considering, you know, if he was involved with so much of this fucking shit that maybe it finally hit him, you know, he's in jail now. He's not in the comfort of his own home or, you know, having all these other things that distract him from, you know, this dark part of him. So when he's in jail, he has to face this dark part of him head on and there's nothing that he can do to to distract himself from it. So he faces it, and then he's just like, "Fuck, I'm a monster." I don't even think I don't even think people like that kill themselves because of that. I think it's just like I will never serve a year in jail. Well, that too. You know? Yeah, that too. I'm a prominent person. I will. I won't be caught dead in jail. They're just like, I, yeah, I'm just gonna kill myself. Yeah. You know, that's that. That's I'm not gonna go to trial. Don't be surprised if uh, Aunt Becky from Full House ends up doing, uh, you know, wrapping a shoelace around her neck because she's supposed to be going to jail. Uh, for that whole uh, college admissions scam with her kids. Eh, I don't know if she'd kill herself. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, Yeah, well, if you're going to women's prison, first of all, you're not going to have to... I mean, I'm sure there's murders and shit that go on in there, but I, yeah. I highly doubt you have to worry about getting shanked as bad as you would in a men's prison because men are fucking animals. And when it comes to the... Mur- well, I don't know. If you watch Orange is the New Black or you hear about stuff like that, I don't know. It seems to be I've pretty, never seen one episode of that show. Pretty crazy in that, too, in, in, a, in a woman's prison, too. 
Depends on where she's going. She's probably going to go to some cushy-ass prison. Probably. She's not going to, like, general population. Yeah, you know how many fucking, like, like lesbians in there would just love to get some Lloyd Laughlin? Yeah. I mean, I would, and I'm not even a lesbian. So, Actually, I am. I'm Tammy Gunderson. So the <laughs> Tammy Gunderson, bitch! <laughs> so, um... The Nebraska State Foster Care Review Board submitted the results of a two-year investigation into the alleged physical and sexual abuse of foster children to the Executive Board of Nebraska Legislature, who were investigating reports of child sexual abuse linked to the credit union. After investigation, a grand jury in Douglas County, where Omaha, Nebraska is situated, determined the abuse allegations were baseless, describing them as a carefully crafted hoax and indicting two of the original accusers on perjury charges. One of them, I think, it was uh, Banasi, and another one was another kid. I think might have been interviewed, and he says, "Like you were going to be perjured, like it's going to happen." The grand jury suspected that the false stories originated from the fired employee of Boys Town, who might have fueled the fire of rumor and innuendo because of personal grudges. A federal grand jury also concluded the abuse allegations were unfounded and indicted 21-year-old Alicia Owen, an alleged victim, on eight counts of perjury. Owen served four and a half years in prison. Separately, the federal grand jury indicted multiple officers of the credit union for embezzlement of funds, including King, who has a somewhat of a connection with Benassi. So, in 1989, 21-year-old Paul A. Benassi told his attorney, John DeCamp, that he had been abducted into a sex ring with Gosh as a teenager and was forced to participate in Gosh's kidnapping. Now, this is where the documentary gets the most interesting. Is with the stuff with Banasi. Uh, Banasi, who looks like a brother of Onision, <laughs> he really does. If you know, uh, if you've ever heard of Onision, this equally controversial figure on YouTube who's being investigated actually by uh, uh, Chris Hansen and company right now for uh, potential, you know, pedophilia. So you got Onision's brother over here, Paul A. Benassi, who apparently has multiple personality disorder. And that kind of brings in things into question, like, oh, maybe he's just making this up. But there are a lot of things that are revealed in this documentary through conversations with, with Benassi, with his a uh, cooperation with America's Most Wanted, that just makes you, like, kind of really think that this whole child pedal ring isn't really that far-fetched because there's a lot of details that he brings up that really does make you think like either he's an incredible actor or you know he just knows the right uh places to find all this information but i don't know it, it seems like there is some uh legit there's some legitimacy to his claims if you ask me uh so John DeCamp met with Benassi and believed he was telling the truth. Uh, Noreen later met him and said he told her things he could only know from talking with her son. And apparently he said the same spiel, essentially. He uh, was quoted with saying the same thing to John DeCamp in a private recording that he said to Noreen later. So if this was rehearsed, that's this damn good acting on his part. Of a guy who has multiple personality disorder, who has been abused sexually. 
in his life. So he said that Johnny had a birthmark on his chest, a scar on his tongue, and a burned scar on his lower leg. Although a description of the birthmark had been widely circulated, information about the scars had not been made public. But Nazi also described a stam with a stammer that Johnny had when he was upset. And the FBI and local police do not believe that Benazzi is a credible witness in the case and have not interviewed him. This documentary, though, blows the lid off of that whole thing. And really, that's where I buy the incompetence. Or maybe we're not touching this because we're going to get fucked (laughs) in so many different ways. Because the police, this is, they didn't even interview his family members until 10 years later to determine whether or not he this is he's, he's a credible witness. Took them 10 years to do anything. And then once they do that, they just say that oh his relatives they said that he was in Nebraska. He wasn't in Nebraska. He was Well, he was yeah, he was in Nebraska. He was in Nebraska at the time. There's no way he could have been in uh Des Moines to be involved with the kidnapping of, of Johnny Gosh. Uh, something that takes like two or two and a half hours to drive to Des Moines, Iowa from Omaha. It's not that long of a drive. If somebody's speeding in a, in a getaway car, it's even shorter of a drive. So I, he could have easily been involved with that and got home and his sisters or his family did you know would not have even known anything. They would just assume that he was just there the whole time with them. What's your thoughts on that? The ten they took ten years to talk to talk to uh Paul, but they don't even bother talking to Paul. They just talk to his family. Well, I mean it's it's the whole that that whole police department, you know, is just yeah. like what I but this is after what's his name was already out. So why? Yeah, I don't know. So that's a funny thing. Like uh, people, people like to act like it's only like minorities that get like overlooked whenever there's some kind of investigation or you know into someone's death, and it's like, oh, they're you know such and such minority. Who cares? We only care about when it happens to white people or whatever. But. Police corruption runs the gamut, man. Like, it doesn't matter. I'm not saying that black people have had, uh, you know, the equal equal treatment by the cops because they haven't. But at the same time, it's like when people always cry foul of uh, shitty police work like that. It just runs the, the, the gamut, you know, like it could happen to anyone. You just hope that, you know, whatever, whatever town you're in or whatever police force is, is, uh, you know, assigned to your district is, um, uh, you know, intelligent, open-minded people who are going to actually, you know, delegate resources yeah. to your plight and not... They're not going to try to frame you like the West Memphis 3. Yeah, I mean, it It just, you know, I kind of, I almost feel like it kind of boils down to what city you live in, you know, it, it will depend, and who you are in the community. Are you... And who you know. Right. Are you prominent? Are you, do you have money? Is your family known, well-known? I mean, like, it. it's sad but true, you know, it's almost like... Um, you know, a, a public police force, you know, you, you kind of get what you get, yeah. you know, you almost like would. So America's Most Wanted then started to get involved with uh, this case because John Walsh, uh, he he lost his son. You know, his son was kidnapped 
and he's been, you know, he's been, you know, trying to search and doing all these things, and it's been, you know, a huge part of his life, and uh, that's why he decided to create America's Most Wanted, and uh, finding missing kids is a big part of that show, and so he decides, uh, you know, we should try to, you know, cover this case, and the producer, one of the producers of America's Most Wanted, is interviewed in the documentary, Paul Sparrow. He uh, talks about how this whole thing with Benassi was so bizarre, so strange. And he talks about how, you know, it could be made up. But he also talks about how stuff just doesn't sit right with him and how he kind of it, it, it's, it kind of feels as if he does feel that there is some validity to these statements but he doesn't want to go, you know, all out and say he he thinks it's real. You know, it's 100% fact. Right. So they show some clips from from America's Most Wanted with the stuff with Banasi. And it's it's bittersweet to me, and here's why. Because it proves that there is a backlog of America's Most Wanted episodes that you can have access to. Uh, if you're doing a documentary <laughs> or you have the right connections, but it also shows that wh- where's the show and are we ever going to get the show? You know, it's one of those things like I, I know you didn't grow up watching the show, so you probably don't care. But for people like myself who grew up watching that show along with Unsolved Mysteries, like we would we we would love to watch that show again, you know, bad reenactments and all. Uh, so I I I would. I would love to see Film Rise try to reach out, uh, but Disney owns Fox now, so I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was cool to see some, you know, high quality uh, for the time anyway. You know, clips of the show, and so they talk about Benassi and his involvement with America's Most Wanted, and they show some clips. He talks about how uh, these kids were getting branded, how Johnny was branded with a mark. Then there was a guy who comes forward who's interviewed on the show, and he has the same brand mark. Was this some sort of uh, thing that uh, Banassi set up? He's like, hey, dude, like, get a tattoo, you know, mark yourself, brand yourself. Like, I doubt it. This is starting to sound more and more similar to the imposter. Yeah, it is? Really? Do you think Banassi just made this all up? I think um, that that uh, Fabrizio Fettuccini guy is uh, is 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 just struck again and is now uh, Johnny. <laughs> okay. So they then uh, talk about this episode of the show, which is really chilling, where he talks about there was this house in Nebraska that he and other boys were kept in and were, you know, kept from the police and were, you know, abused in this uh, uh, hidden space under the house. And he shows this hidden space. And the space space is actually there. It's actually there. I mean, this guy's not bullshitting. Like, he he knows, like, he's... I found him credible after after that. Yeah. The space is actually there, and there are uh, initials carved into uh, the wood. In this space. And the investigator guy saying, there's things that you think might be true, 
There's things you know are true, and then there's things you can prove in court. And all that matters yeah. is can you prove it in court? And they're just, yeah, it's the producer for AMW. Yeah, yeah, and there just wasn't enough there to no. make a case that you could prove in court. You got you got powerful people involved with this who have money and power. They're either in politics, uh, you know, and other business businesses. Um, they like fresh meat, and they're willing to do whatever they can to to prevent any of their uh, proclivities or their deranged activities from ever, you know, getting connected with them. And then if you have the the association with a pedophile ring who's going around stealing these kids, and they have their own information on these individuals, I'm glad my meat is well beyond spoiled. And then you have the whole thing with uh, the FBI, where you even have, like, I don't think it was, it was a former FBI guy or somebody who, you know, was at least somewhat familiar with the FBI. They were like, hey, you know, the FBI, you know, they're they're doing their job and everything, but, you know, they're also trying, you know, to protect themselves. You know, the, I don't, you know, don't buy that everyone in the FBI is in on this and everyone in the FBI is corrupt or is into you know, pedophilia, but, you know, they're there to, you know, protect their own. You know, it, even if it's a small portion of things, you know, if, if it's revealed that there was anyone in the FBI that was into this sort of pedophilia or was connected with this pedophile ring, you know, it just would just destroy the legitimacy of, of, of the entire operation and the organization. And, uh, so, but Nazi, you know, has that stuff with America's Most Wanted. And then they talk about this Discovery documentary. That was, this was a documentary, there was this British filmmaker who was brought in to do something on this Nebraska, this Omaha pedophile, uh, ring. And this child trafficking and, and to talk about, you know, the the plausibility of it. And he, he compiled interviews with Benassi and some other people. And something's of silence, right? Something of silence is the name of the documentary. I don't know. I don't remember. And he was in the middle of getting it together and was getting a lot of juicy stuff. Like he had an interview with one of the kids who said he was involved with it saying like you know you know that you will be perjured you know that you know that if you try to do anything like it will happen uh and decamp was also interviewed in it and they show some footage clips from it and then you find out this crazy fact that in the middle of working on this documentary that he was brought in to do not necessarily, you know, with a already preconceived idea of what it's going to be. You know, it was like he didn't know everything about it. It was one of those things about the journey of trying to find, you know, if there is any evidence to support this. And he gets brought in in the middle of shooting this documentary by Discovery and they say, stop this now. Like you were, we are not doing this anymore. You are not doing this documentary, and he's like, "Why?" You know, like I think this is, you know, we're not, we're not going to talk about it. You're not doing this anymore. 
Like that adds validity to the stuff too, because like this is like a this is a Discovery Channel. We're talking about like a, a a pretty at the time a decently popular cable channel. And then you know some somebody got new word of it. Somebody sent word to Discovery. Somebody was like you know you don't mess around with this kind of shit. Like ruin you. Right. That's yeah. That's creepy. And so they. You know, stop production. It was never, never finished. So you're like, <laughs> sounds pretty uh, legit to me. And then you have the letters that Benassi was receiving from supposedly these kids who were, you know, part of this pedophile ring. And they're talking about, you know, I was hanging out with JB, you know, all these other things, other details. And uh, Benassi, uh, he then talks about how there was a connection uh, with the, the pedophile ring and Lawrence E. King, the, the Republican Party activist and businessman who served as the director of the Franklin Credit Union in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, he, he, he accused him of running an underage prostitution ring and victimizing him since an early age, you know, forcing him to scavenge for kids. And, uh, you know, if he was a Republican Party activist, there's politics. Yep. He was, you know, the director of a credit union. There's money. Yep. He eventually gets uh, convicted of uh, looting $40 million from the bank. But, you know, that's a that's a white collar crime for someone like that. You know, he did serve a uh, sentence. To, he was sentenced to 15 years in prison. The bank was shut down uh, in uh, uh, February of 1999. Uh, uh, the U.S. District Court of the District of Nebraska awarded Bonacci $1 million in compensatory damages and punitive damages because Bonacci had sued King, who failed to respond to the civil lawsuit. And he won, but he didn't get any money. Got nothing. So the documentary after the Benassi stuff, then it goes back to Noreen and she talks about her whole thing about, oh, you know, my son came back and I saw him in 1997 for an hour and a half or an hour. And then she finishes her talk with the family, uh, the, the parents who lost their daughters. Then they find you find out that they were found dead. And then she has her whole spiel and talks about, you know, how, you know, she's coping with it and how she's deal with dealing with this thing to this day. Apparently, she's a yoga instructor. Good for her. She teaches yoga. Uh, I find it kind of uh, interesting and kind of funny that she has the same hairstyle that she had in 1991. Yeah, she looked actually pretty similar. She just looked a little bit more yeah. wrinkly, but yeah, it was yeah. kind of weird. It was like the exact same hairstyle. Kind of like Liza Minnelli there, in her older years. There was no difference whatsoever. Um, Benassi, he got married. He, he uh, has uh, a wife of his own. Talks about how there's been issues, and there would be. He's got multiple personality disorder, um, so it's something that. But he talks about how he uh, talked with a reverend, and he told him that, you know. You have to let all this hate go because he was angry and he was so upset. He wanted to, you know, kill these people who were involved with uh, this pedophile ring. 
And he talked about how the only way he was able to get better is for him to, you know, just let that hate go. You know, not let his desire or hope that they get convicted go entirely, but just let the hate go. And so good for him. Um, I I don't buy the police saying like, oh, he wasn't involved because we interviewed some of his relatives and they said, oh, he was here. It just seems like they didn't even bother to even try to. And and it also ties into more into this, you know, ever reaching uh, conspiracy or or possibly legit theory or or, uh, ring of, of rich and powerful pedophiles where it's like. They, they, you know, get it out to the police, and it was like, you know, I, you know, we're not touching you. Don't touch him. Do not touch him. Don't interview him. Don't even bother. And they, they could easily look at him as a, a, a witness who was incredible because, like, you, you have multiple personality disorder. You're crazy, right? But he has all these details and all these connections and all these things that just make you just think, like, I don't know. Seems like there's something there. I honestly think the documentary should have been about him and talking about the whole Nebraska, you know, Omaha pedophile ring. Yeah, they could have made a whole uh, documentary out of that, really. Yeah. No offense to Noreen and, you know, and, and everything. I just I just think that that was the meat of this documentary. It was the most interesting and compelling aspect of this documentary. Like, the documentary got good. Like, legitimately good when they were talking about Benassi and you know everything involved with with him and and this uh you know pedo ring I mean maybe Corey maybe Corey Feldman isn't crazy after all you know I totally believe Corey Feldman and everything he I I absolutely believe that like no like a hundred percent but yeah anyway um I don't I don't have any more juice yeah, I feel you. You've been you've been through. You, you're dealing with something of your own right now. I just mentally can't, you know, contribute a whole lot. So I just decided to just take yeah, the ball. Yeah. I appreciate it because and run cause with I just it. Shit the bed in the middle of this podcast. Do, do my best to score a touchdown. <laughs> yeah, sorry everybody. I you know I I just couldn't really get into it. That sucked the fucking air out of me when I saw that. I I, I might have been a little bit more passionate about this than you in the first yeah, place. Yeah, so definitely. You know, definitely. ran with it a little bit more anyway. Uh, I just, just the stuff with Benassi and America's Most Wanted, like seeing John Wall or seeing America's Most Wanted footage and, you know, that stuff where, you know, the thing where he goes to the house and shows the 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 hidden uh, space. Oh, yeah. And it's actually there. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the kind of stuff that, like, really does, you know, stick with you. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think it's that far fetched that there's some, you know, powerful ring of uh, pedos in, in high powerful positions who, you know, they just, they get a hold of some pedo ring, you know, in a certain uh, part of the, uh, of, uh, the U S there's probably multiple pedo rings. It's something that's terrifying to think about and awful, but I mean, there's all kinds of drug, you know, rings and drug, you know, uh, dealers and, you know, uh, stuff like that. There's all kinds of rings and all kinds of stuff. I, I, you know, child trafficking, 
human trafficking, you know, that wasn't taken as seriously back then. But uh, that's probably the time when it was running rampant because the police weren't even even considering it. that it was even a thing. You had these pedophile uh, pamphlets that were going around. Yeah, it's the uh, fucking world we live in. All right, well, that's... But, uh, I mean, Benassi isn't 100% innocent. I just want to really leave that out there, too, because Benassi, he, you know, he said he was even involved in the abuse himself. Uh, he's He was sexually abused as a kid, but he also, because of the damage, he himself, I think... Was was you know taking part in pedophilia? Well, he was coerced as uh, well. I mean, they that he, he was coerced. They made him do it, apparently. Yeah. So you know, as part of the, the their little brochures. Yeah, it's it's some pretty dark, twisted shit. Yeah, it really is. I do recommend checking this out, this documentary out someday if if the topic interests you. Um, maybe doing your own research on the side. Uh, it is worth watching at least once to see, you know, this seediness, to see this uh, sort of dark chapter, you know, in, in, in America that is, you know, really being put under the rug, you know, by powerful people. I'm surprised I didn't, like, block this from coming out, like, but I don't know, maybe these powerful people aren't really in, in much power anymore to be able to do something like that. They were powerful back in the eighties and nineties, but not. Well, really they never the named any names anymore. or anything, so it's not like no, they, they weren't being accusatory. So it's like, I mean, you yeah. can just talk. Like Corey Feldman can say there are people in Hollywood who are pedophiles, and there's nothing that anyone can do legally to him. But as soon as he starts yeah. dropping names, that's when they can seek sick their dogs on him and ruin yeah. him. You got a point. I get you. So anyway, yeah, I don't know what else to say about the documentary uh, or this case. I thought it was uh, an interesting but ultimately pretty mediocre documentary. Uh, if you didn't have the Benassi stuff and America's Most Wanted stuff, you know that 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 would be that would be below average easily. Yeah. Right. Um. But yeah. All right. That's the. I, uh... I, I'm thankful that you know it was requested because <laughs> that was interesting discussion. But uh, anyway. Yeah, I don't think Josh has anything else to say. No, I don't. He didn't have much to say. No. If you want to if you want to anyway. join our Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. And if you join the five dollar tier, then you can put me through watching a lackluster documentary, or you can tell me another documentary you might want us to watch and talk about. Uh if you do the three dollars, you get the podcast early. And if you do the $1, you get a nice slap on the ass and a wink and a nod and a good, good uh, attaboy. Uh, so anyway, uh, that's that. If you want to join our Facebook group, you should. It's uh, Go to Facebook.com, go to the group section, type in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Uh, it's a very awesome group with a lot of cool, good, good-hearted people in there. And then finally, if you want to check out more me and Mike, but, you know, maybe you don't like the whole togetherness of me and Mike, you can check us out separately. You can find Mike at YouTube.com slash OCP Communications. He's the movie guy. What was the last video you did, Mike? Uh, the last video I did was a uh, mini rant uh, discussion on uh, what the fuck happened to the New Mutants. The film, The New Mutants, which was delayed for like two or three years, 
Uh, Fox was initially going to release it. Uh, the teaser trailer had a definitive horror tone yeah, to wow. it. Look, was shot and edited as if it was a horror film. And then Disney just came out with uh, their trailer of the movie because they're actually going to release it in theaters this year. And the tone is different. Uh, looks like there's more CGI that's added. And um, this kind of talks about the, the, the theory that I have that there was either an R-rated cut or something uh, that was more of a harder-edged horror cut of the film that existed at some point, but Fox wasn't really confident in it uh, and then tried to cut it, and then Disney got involved, and then they tried did what they, you know, they'd ultimately uh, cut it themselves to fit into the MCU mold. Um, uh, it's just one of those things I think is a little interesting. Oh, the mouse is starting to come in more and more. They said they weren't going to, but looks like they are. Well, I mean, think about it. I knew that was going to happen. Scott Derrickson, the director of Doctor Strange, who was attached to the sequel, he just left the project. He left the sequel for creative differences. Pretty soon after, he was talking about how he's going to make it a scary movie. Probably because he's like, I want to make it R, or I want to make it a really hard PG-13 and be scary. And then Disney was like, we can't have that. We can't scare the kids. We can. And this is the this is the company that dominates Hollywood right now, folks. Most of the highest grossing films last year were Disney movies. And that will continue to be the case, considering how many studios and how many properties they already own. Yeah. So buckle up, Buttercups. <laughs> if you think Disney isn't a monopoly, you're going to get all the proof you need and then some going forward. So if you heard the the passion in Mike's voice, uh, definitely go over to his channel and, and, and experience a, a, a loving spoonful of that passion when it comes to all things movies. If you want to follow me on YouTube, I am youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. The last video I did was a channel update for 2020, where I ask you, the uh, the watcher of my videos, what stuff you want to see me do going forward. I actually had quite a few good suggestions in the comments there. Um, the two lead singer video is uh, 50% done. I've just got to pretty much edit it at this point, so that's going to be coming out. Uh, someone was asking about that video. Bands with two lead singers, I kind of talk about some of my favorite bands that have two lead singers. So that's going to be coming mm-hmm. out. And uh, yeah, that's that's it for this week's podcast, guys. Rest it. We'll be doing a rest in peace. Rest in peace, Neil Peart, the uh, drummer for Rush, a band that really shaped my teenage years and my adult years and a band that was ethical and good guys. And just I respect the hell out of them and look up to them. And uh, truly sad that Neil passed away. But after all the heartache he had been through in his life, I'm sure he's... I'd recommend doing a video for your channel. Oh, I, like no, I, little, I definitely like, will. You know. I definitely will be doing that. Um, I just respect that. It's a good way to cope. respect that band too much to not do any kind of a dedication. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry about my uh, crapping out on this one. Next week, I'll be back in full form. But until then, have a good rest of your night. Goodbye. See ya. All right. Was it a pedophile <laughs> ring? <laughs> Ooh.
took Johnny. <laughs> On Monday, I was doing my paper route. I never expected to see him coming. He was a Hispanic guy. He looked me in my eye. Where's Johnny? He's gone. <laughs> he used to be right here. Johnny, he's red and freckled face. Johnny, he's never had sex with a man before. Every man wants him. Who took Johnny? <laughs> uh. Every night. He's got to do some shit to someone he doesn't want to. All right. Well, that was <laughs> that was definitely making it onto the B-roll. Yes, absolutely. I was this I think this is 173. <laughs> I'm glad that you and I are both old men enough to know these old obscure 80s songs that literally no one else our age. You realize no one else like in their like early 30s would know about who is Johnny. Who's Johnny? Yeah. The, the Short Circuit song? I don't know. I know some of my friends uh, on Facebook, you know, definitely know about that song. Well, I mean, that's your friends, so that's not really <laughs> not really saying a lot. Oh. I mean, wow. I, I mean, I'm not not saying a lot as it I'm not saying a lot as in like they're probably all kind of like movie nerds too. Yeah, yeah. So of course I, I get that. I get that. I'm not I'm not saying they're like not <laughs> <laughs> good people or whatever. Even though it kind of whatever, whatever, Mike, you knew what I fucking it, it, meant. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. It's it's fine. 